0: Hello everyone. Before we start, let me just mention my sponsor and that is italki, an online platform for one-to-one English lessons with qualified teachers. It's all done using software on your computer or phone like Skype or Zoom. Sign up with italki free, then search through all their teachers, find one that suits you and schedule some lessons. Then just have your English lessons or conversation practice with a teacher from your own home without having to leave the house. You'll find teachers in the UK, in Australia, in Ireland, in the US, all over. It's very simple and clear. And when you buy some talking time, italki will send you a voucher for a free lesson. To get started, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash talk. You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Hello, everyone. How are you doing out there in podcast land? Or should I not ask? We all know that the dreaded coronavirus is making life difficult for everyone and I very much hope that you're basically well and that you're keeping your spirits up despite the many difficulties that you might be facing during this tricky period. I expect that you will either be extremely busy looking after children or perhaps trying to solve work-related problems or perhaps you're growing increasingly bored and lonely if you're just stuck at home in self-isolation. I'm also attempting to adjust to a new routine myself uh, as we are looking after our daughter trying to keep her busy while also trying to get work done but really things are not too bad for us at this stage we're quite lucky I suppose. I just want to wish everyone out there all the best and I hope that you're managing to stay positive. I won't talk a lot more about this situation right now I'm thinking of doing one or two episodes about self-isolation and associated vocabulary in the coming days or weeks. But in any case, this can be, I suppose, a good opportunity, if you have the time, to focus on things like listening to podcasts or reading books to improve your English. And in fact, that is what this episode is all about. It's a podcast conversation with my mum about books. Well, about one book in particular – That's right, this is the first episode of Jill's Book Club, which I mentioned on the podcast a while ago, I think in my mum's episode about quintessentially British things from January, in which she chose to talk about three of her favourite books. I suggested then that it might make a good regular feature for episodes of this podcast. Lots of Lepsters agreed, and my mum is happy to do it, and so here it is, Jill's Book Club. The concept is pretty simple. I talk to my mum about books that she's read. She describes them, tells us what they're about and what she found interesting about them. And we can also perhaps read some samples from the books too, if possible. It could be any book or books that she wants, uh, an old favourite, a recent discovery, or just something that she thinks will be interesting to talk about. Hopefully it will just be a pleasant listening experience for you. But it could also give you some inspiration if you're looking for a book to read in English. So briefly, before we start, here is some advice on how to use these episodes of the podcast. So you can either A, just listen to the episode, try to follow what my mum and I are saying, and hopefully find it pleasant to listen to without feeling the need to actually read the book being described – As I've said before, it is very important and beneficial for your English to listen to things like this on a regular basis. Equally, it is important to read regularly. So your other option could be this. Uh, This is option B. Having heard us talk about the book, you can then get your own copy and then read it yourself. Alternatively, you could get the audiobook version. So it's basically either you just listen to the episode and just enjoy it, hopefully, or you then choose to read the book. There's no obligation for you to to read the book. You don't have to, but uh, it might be it might be a good idea. Uh, and also perhaps if the particular book we're talking about isn't exactly what you're looking for, listening to my mum talking about reading could just encourage you to read more in English yourself even if it's not the book we're describing. If you do want to read a book to improve your English, then I have some advice for you, but I'm going to tell you that advice after you've heard my conversation with mum, because I don't want to go on about it. I don't want to go on too long uh, and too much here at the start. So, listen all the way to the end of this episode to hear specific advice from me regarding how to choose a book to read in English. Uh, anyway, let's now talk to my mum. We decided to talk about just one book in this conversation in order to be able to focus our attention more clearly. Don't forget to check the page for this episode on my website, where you'll find all the details of the book, plus some other notes, transcripts of my introduction and ending, and so on. Okay, so without any further ado, let's now talk to my mum. This is Jill's Book Club on Luke's English Podcast. So, hello, mum. Hello,
1: Luke. How are you?
0: I'm fine, considering...
1: Yeah, so you're stuck in the flat because of coronavirus, with um, your daughter not going to creche. How about you two? Oh, we're okay. We're just sort of staying in quite a lot. We haven't been going out anywhere. Washing
0: your hands vigorously.
1: Washing our hands every five minutes.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Wiping down all the doorknobs and the handles of the doors and all that sort of thing. It's like, it's like Macbeth, isn't it? Mm, out-damn spot.
0: Out-damn spot, Lady Macbeth washing her hands all the time. Well, not quite as, not as bad as that, but anyway. No,
1: No. and the difference is we can't see it. If we could see the spot, we would know whether we'd washed it out or not. (laughs) I
0: know. Macbeth by Shakespeare, that is another story for another time. Oh, yeah. But uh, here we are. So Jill's Book Club, that's what we're going to call this, I think. Okay. The main aim is to talk to you about books Okay. Because you read so many books, I like yeah. I like hearing you talk about them. Right. I think my listeners will find it interesting too, and it could help them to choose a book to read. Okay. Before we talk about the book that you've chosen to talk about today, yeah, I thought I'd start by just asking you some quick questions about your relationship with books. Okay. And these are sort of quick fire questions. Oh right. Okay, just to kind of establish a bit of context in terms of mm-hmm. you and books so first question is how many books do
1: you read in a month oh well that depends on the month sometimes none sometimes about half a dozen so it's some something between nothing and half a dozen i'd say half a dozen six a dozen is 12 half (laughs) a dozen is six sorry about that
0: no that's great no we like all this just be yourself yeah that's uh, that's the, that's the language. non as well by the way listeners non means none Oh you don't say none then you say non do you
1: Oh I don't know I've never thought about it well, before. I think that's a northern pronunciation actually Being in non.
0: the being in the Midlands is sort non. of like uh, there is some um pronunciation in the in a sort of Midlands accent which sounds a bit northern and then some which sounds a bit southern um mm. you're from the north originally Mm. But have lived in the south as well. But anyway, it's interesting. You say yeah. you said non, meaning none. Uh, I would say none. You said none. non, non, meaning yeah. meaning no books. Yes, somewhere between none and six books a month. Okay. Yeah. What about this month? Has it been a, a productive uh, month in terms of reading?
1: Um, productive isn't
0: the right word. A receptive, no. a receptive.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I think, oh gosh, I usually, I write down every book that I, you know, when I finish it, I write it down in a sort of book diary, but I haven't got that with me. So I can't tell you precisely. But this month in March, I think this, I've probably read a couple so far. Okay. Since Christmas, I've probably read about eight, maybe.
0: Are you a quick reader?
1: Yeah. Too quick, really. What do you mean? Well, I should slow down and consider every word. Like your father, when he reads, he reads incredibly slowly and takes everything in, whereas I just, you know, gallop through it.
0: What? So dad's like, uh, page one, the
1: hmm, yeah.
0: the hmm, <laughs> hmm, hmm, the the first, oh, first. Okay. <laughs> time, mm, time, yeah, mm, yeah, interesting yeah, yeah. concept, isn't it? Uh, uh, okay, but you're like, the first time.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Okay. What kind of books do you tend to like?
1: I like novels. I also like biographies and autobiographies and social histories, which the book I've chosen this month comes into that category.
0: Okay. Another quick question.
1: Do you have a pile of books waiting to be read somewhere? <gasps> have I got a pile? I've got shelves full because I'm afraid I'm a compulsive book buyer. i working in a second-hand bookshop. It's just far too easy for me to buy books. Mm. And uh, I see books by authors I like and I think, oh, I haven't got that one. I'll buy that one. Or I see a book, I think, oh, that looks interesting. I'll buy that. Or I'll, f- I'll see a book, a particular book that I love, like that one of the ones I spoke about on our last podcast, You know, A Month in the Country by mm. J.L. Carr is one of my all-time favorite books. Every time I see a copy of that book, I buy it. <laughs> More or less, because I think, well, I don't need it, but I I like to give them to people, so it means I can just hand them out and not worry about it.
0: Yeah, that's lovely. And there are
1: different editions. Some of them are beautiful, you know, with lovely illustrations. I think, oh I have to have that. Yeah. It's crazy. So I have got far too many books waiting to be read.
0: So you work in a second hand bookshop. What are the most common books coming through the shop at the moment? Which ones have you seen a lot recently?
1: Oh golly. We get an awful lot of books that... We get a lot of what I call chick lit. You know what chick lit is? Well, I
0: know what chick lit is, but I wonder if the audience know what chick lit is.
1: Well, I would say that it was very, very populist or popular novels, very light novels, usually of a romantic nature. Chick, chick. uh,
0: We need to break down the word.
1: Well, chick is a rather degrading word for a young woman, meaning a rather... Unserious young woman.
0: Okay, a chick.
1: Uh, and lit is short for literature. So chick lit is literature for perhaps uh, young women who aren't particularly serious thinkers. Okay. And who like
0: love stories. So kind of, uh, is it fair to say literature for sort of your average, not super intelligent girl? I mean, it sounds mean, doesn't it? It, sounds, to, I don't it does. Mean, I don't People mean...
1: who enjoy reading and they like light subjects, which are usually love stories, Yeah, probably slightly humorous as well, Okay. and, um, you know, don't like anything too heavy. Ch- so we get loads of books like that.
0: Is Bridget Jones's Diary an example of chick lit? Well,
1: it is, but it's a very, very good example in as much as it's a very high class, high quality. Um, I think she... Uh, what's her name Helen Fielding yeah probably started the genre actually of chick lit I see I don't know I don't know that that's true but I that's how I feel that's, that's my suspicion that uh, Bridget Jones's diary was the first chick lit
0: but it's but the, it's the high end it was the high water mark
1: yes and there are lots that like to think that they are as good as Bridget Jones's diary but they're not
0: we don't want to appear to be sort of snobbish about this stuff because um, chicklit can be fantastic fun and really great stuff to read. Of course, and actually, for my listeners, often it is the lighter yeah. uh, sort of books that are the best for learning English because they're yes. they're less taxing, and you you know ultimately it's about getting more and more words in into your yeah. head. Yeah. So Lit can be great. Um, Absolutely. Hmm. All right, a couple of other questions. You're in a book club, aren't you? Yeah. Can you tell us about your book club?
1: It was started about a year and a half after we moved up to the Midlands from London. Mm -hmm. And some of the neighbours, I'd been in a book club in London and I had told my friends up here about the book club and they decided that they would like to do the same thing. And Mm -hmm. so we started it and it was originally just a few of the neighbours on the lane and now um since then, people have been brought in, friends of people and one of the people brought her sister in, you know, so the personnel has changed a fair bit over the years and people have dropped out and people have moved away. People have died, unfortunately, mm. but the original two or three are still there and it's been going for, oh gosh, getting on for 30 years now.
0: So that what happens is the the group of you get together uh, in different people's homes
1: yeah what we do is to choose a book a week. Yeah. And the person whose book is being discussed they hold the meeting. So you know when my book is being discussed everybody comes to my house. Okay. And then at the end of the meeting the next person on the list tells us what we meet, what we're reading for the next month and then we go to her house to talk about it. So
0: you have to read the time. book in a week.
1: Sorry, did I say a week? Yeah. I meant a month. <laughs> <laughs> week, month. You know, uh, <laughs> but, um, very often it's more than a month because we all have commitments. We all go, you know, all being retired now. Mm. Some of us have grandchildren who we look after. Some of us go away on holiday a lot. Okay. Some of us have um, volunteering jobs and all that sort of thing. So it's, sometimes it's hard for us to make a date.
0: Yes. Okay, right. So, right. well, this is Jill's Book Club, and the, the idea is that, well, maybe the listeners can, can get a copy of this book. So, mm. uh, we're now going to focus on one particular book in some detail. Uh, uh-huh. Let's, well, w- what's the book called?
1: The book is called The Five.
0: The Five.
1: With a subtitle, The Untold Lives of the Women Killed by Jack the Ripper.
0: The Five, The Untold Lives of the Women Killed by Jack the Ripper. Yeah. Uh, who's it by?
1: By Halley, That's H-A-L-L-I-E. Rubenhold. Yeah. Hallie Rubenhold.
0: Okay. Is it an American book, a British book or other?
1: It's a British book.
0: Okay. When was it published?
1: Last year, 2019.
0: 2019. Fiction or non-fiction?
1: Non-fiction.
0: Okay. So it's about real events. It is. When is it set?
1: Well, it's set at the time of the Jack the Ripper murders uh, on that particular year, 1888.
0: Okay. Can you just tell us a little bit about the book then? Just summarise it for us.
1: Yes. The book is about the Jack the Ripper murders. And of course, there have been hundreds of books written about Jack the Ripper.
0: Jack the Ripper.
1: Yeah. Who was a murderer who was running rampant (laughs) on the streets of London in 1888, particularly. And he killed many women in a really brutal way. Mm. This is about the five, it's called the five because there are five women, the so called canonical five, because they're the five people who there is no doubt were killed by the same man. Mm. And the person who wrote this book, Hallie Rubenhold, wanted to set the record straight because she was. Distressed by so many of the books, which are fascinated by the murderer and the gruesome way in which he killed his victims, and the fact that all the women are referred to as prostitutes. So, the myth has grown up over the years that Jack the Ripper killed prostitutes, and that kind of devalues the lives of the women that he killed because people say they were just prostitutes. What did they expect? That sort of attitude. Mm. She wanted to write a book going into – and, of course, nobody knows or didn't know up to now anything about the lives of these women. All they knew about them was that they were uh, killed by Jack the Ripper and that they were uh, prostitutes or so they'd been told.
0: Were they prostitutes?
1: Well, this is what she wanted to find out. So she's done a lot of historical research going back over, you know – all the records, births, deaths, you know, what they did as jobs, where they lived, who they married, all that sort of thing. She's done a huge amount of um, research. And she's discovered as much as possible about these women's lives. And there was only one of them was a prostitute. Mm. That was the last one of the five, whose name was um, Mary Jane Kelly, I think. And all the others... Um, well, the thing that they all have in common, apart from having been killed by Jack the Ripper, is that they were all destitute. Meaning, and sorry. they, were, yeah, sorry,
0: hmm? destitute. What does
1: destitute. Mean? Sorry, means they had nowhere to live. They had no means of making money. They weren't married, and women, unmarried women, who didn't have any money in Victor- Well, probably the same today, but especially in the Victorian era, there was no um, social care. And unless they were with a man who could look after them, they were living on the streets. They had no protection. They, they lived dreadful lives. And destitute means that they had nothing and they lived on the street. And most of them, unfortunately, were alcoholic. They, you know, they're, as happens today when people live on the street, that's what tends to happen to you. You try to deal with your situation by drinking and getting out of it. What was... And most of these women were alcoholic and they were killed on the streets when they were drunk, basically.
0: Okay. Very... And the
1: interesting thing is that most of them were killed when they were asleep. So this is what she's discovered in her researches. So they would all be lying, sleeping on the streets in a drunken stupor, probably. And this man came up and just, you know, ripped them to pieces. So it wasn't as has been shown over, been told over the years that he was having sex with them or, you know, that some interaction was happening, which would make sense if they were prostitutes. The evidence doesn't support that. The evidence shows that they were all asleep
0: suggesting that the murderer just preyed upon these women who were completely vulnerable. Yeah. Um he had no interaction with them. He just went up to them and did the things he did. Um yeah. and they didn't, you know, they weren't even able to fight back or yeah. scream out uh, for help.
1: Um a couple of them screamed. Yes. Um I think. But most no, nobody knew what was happening until the bodies were found some time later. There was no you know Nobody came upon them when when this happened. Horrible, just sort of hole in the in the wall kind of Mm. operation.
0: Yes, I see, I see. Okay, and so so it's interesting that this is a new telling of the story. Yeah,
1: Um, it's told entirely from the women's point of view, and it's it's uh, made plain that they were all killed by Jack the Ripper. That's the thing that they have in common. But she stops short the time when they're murdered she takes their lives right up to the point when they were murdered but she doesn't say anything about their murder how they were murdered or whether she does talk about where they were found but she doesn't talk about how they were murdered or any of the gory detail that a lot of the books go into Mm. she just concentrates on the women and their lives and how they reached that point in their lives
0: so do we learn anything particularly interesting about the lives of these women is there anything that that kind of um, has stayed with you
1: oh well the thing that you learn as I said is is' the the dire conditions under which these people lived and how dreadful it was in those days if you if you lost your money or you couldn't earn enough money to support yourself or you were ill or you became an alcoholic there was absolutely no help from the state you were just left to deal with your life as best you could and what very often happened with women when they found themselves in that position was they were on their own on the street so they had to find a man who would look after them because they needed a man's protection so a lot of them would take up with men who were also homeless you know so that they could protect them on the street and that sort of thing and some of these men were terrible and beat them up and did all sorts of things other than that, if they didn't want to be sleeping on the streets they could if they could manage to get a certain amount of money I forget what it is now something like five pence or something they could pay for a room in a in a rooming house to spend the night but they you know they weren 't allowed to eat there they weren't allowed to you know it wasn 't a home or anything it was just somewhere under a roof where they could sleep. The only other alternative was to go into the workhouse mm. which um Apparently was grim.
0: Yeah, Dad has talked about workhouses before on this podcast. Yeah. Uh, we we did an episode together about uh, some stories.
1: Uh, oh, that's right, the stories that he's done about Warwick.
0: Yeah, that's right. Yeah. stories of like crimes, uh, petty crimes in 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 Warwick back in the nineteenth mm. century, and mm. were, he mentioned workhouses, which uh, uh, were places where people were sent to work. But they were like close to being like prisons or it was almost like well, slave, slave work. Exactly, yeah. Uh, what's the word? Slavery, or, yes, almost. Yes. So, yeah, it's extremely tough. People were just worked and worked and worked. They didn't really get proper food and, and care. And the
1: conditions were awful. And they were dangerous places as well because there were men there who used to prey on the women and, you know, just sounds grim. And a lot of the women just preferred to find their own sort of corner somewhere and sleep on the street. It was, you know, they preferred that to being herded into these places and having to live under these draconian conditions.
0: So was this a difficult book to read in in the sense of it uh, being... Um, um... Hmm. upsetting was it upsetting and disturbing to read this book or or, i wouldn't say it
1: was upsetting it was very disturbing it was fascinating to learn the truth of all these things and it is disturbing to think of that's the way people lived and how easy it would be to go back to that sort of thing
0: Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) you
1: know if there's no social care and no safety net of um the state helping people who are completely down and out and haven't got any way means of looking after themselves you could imagine it we could easily get back to that kind of thing
0: yes i mean in fact it probably still does go on to a certain extent there mm. is probably an underworld of people who are living destitute. And there are all sorts of things like that going on, Where, especially for women who are much more vulnerable. I Mm. mean, obviously, destitute men are very vulnerable too, but Mm. you can imagine that uh, it would be uh, more difficult for women. So there's probably Mm. similar things going on where they they live on the street, but they have to associate with men for protection. And yes, Mm. it's... um, it must be very, very grim. It is. About the book, what what hmm. has been or what was the critical response to the book? What uh, did the newspapers say about it? What did the, the book uh, reviewers, the critics say about the
1: book? Um, it's had a very good reception. And in fact, it's won just recently won an award and i can't remember what the award is i think it's won one or two literary awards um i can tell Um, you actually
0: um according to the amazon page and other bookshops are available listeners yes as you you know it is a number one sunday times bestseller what does that actually mean when you see that on books all the time it's a sunday times bestseller what does that mean
1: i think it means i don't know
0: (laughs) i don't know (laughs) It's funny isn't it that's yeah uh, we see that all the time what does it even mean I wonder um maybe I'll need to do a little edit here and I'll do okay. some fact checking well here I am doing some fact checking actually and well it seems so obvious now that you think about it uh, have you ever seen that on a book or in a description of a book it says it's the number one Sunday times bestseller well basically the Sunday Times is a newspaper and they Obviously, publish a list of best selling books. In fact, it says here on the Times.co.uk, the Times website, the Sunday Times bestseller list is the oldest and most influential book sales chart in the UK and the one that every author wants to be on. Based on data collected each Saturday for the following Sunday by Nielsen Bookscan, obviously some kind of data collection company, and it's, it continues. Who've been collecting digital data since 1998. The chart is the most accurate and comprehensive estimation of book sales in the country. So there you go. Obviously, the Sunday Times bestseller list is a list of best-selling books published by the Sunday Times, and that's it. All right, let's carry on. I'll do okay. some fact checking. I might yeah, uh, yeah. say, what but that certainly
1: means. it has it has won awards, okay. and I saw one only. This morning or yesterday, in fact, and I didn't make a note of it. Well, again,
0: it says here on Amazon, it's the winner of the Bailey Gifford Prize for Nonfiction 2019.
1: That's the one.
0: Okay. And The Guardian described it as an angry and important work of historical detection, calling time on the misogyny that has fed the Ripper myth, meaning sort of basically saying that's enough of this uh, slightly misogynistic view of the whole Jack the Ripper story, which is all about... Jack himself yeah. and who was he and what did he do rather than yeah. the, the poor women who were his victims. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And can can you tell me about the writing style?
1: You tell me what you think. Shall I read the first page? Uh,
0: let me see. I'm looking at the first page here because uh. it's made available on Amazon, you know, the way they do that look inside oh, yes. thing where you can yeah, see yeah. Uh, you're talking about the first. Yeah, there's just one single page, isn't there, That that begins with... Polly, Annie, Elizabeth, Catherine and Mary Jane, right? And then it ends with To Be Born Women, that page, which I think uh, is page number... I can't see what page number that is. Oh, Do you know see more. what I mean? This is the... Is it the forward to the book? So we've got the, we've got the front cover and then the first page after that. Do you see what I'm talking about? Maybe this is a different version no. of the book I'm looking at. Uh, I've, I've
1: got the introduction, A Tale of Two Cities...
0: Tale of Two Cities. Now, I've got something that comes even before that. Is this maybe the back of the book that I'm I'm looking at? I don't know. Can I read this? Yeah. Because this is quite a neat little summary. So, uh-huh. so this is what I can see on Amazon. It says, mm-hmm. The untold story of the women killed by Jack the Ripper and a gripping portrait of Victorian London. The Five changes the narrative of these murders forever. And then it goes on to say this, Polly, Annie, Elizabeth... Catherine and Mary Jane are famous for the same thing, although they never met. They came from some of London's wealthiest and poorest neighbourhoods, from the factory towns of Middle England and from Wales and Sweden. They wrote ballads, they ran coffee houses, they lived on country estates, they breathed ink dust from printing presses and escaped human traffickers. What they had in common was the year of their murders, 1888. The person responsible was never identified, but the character created by the press to fill that gap has become far more famous than any of these five women. For more than a century, newspapers have been keen to tell us that the Ripper preyed on prostitutes. Not only is this untrue, as historian Halle Rubenhold has discovered, but it has prevented the real stories of these fascinating women from being told. Now, by drawing on a wealth of formerly unseen archival material and adding full historical context to the victims' lives, Hold finally sets the record straight, revealing a world not just of Dickens and Queen Victoria, but of poverty, homelessness, and rampant misogyny. They died because they were in the wrong place at the wrong time, but their greatest misfortune was to be born women.
1: Yeah. That sounds like um, a publicity um, summary or um, or a review, uh-huh. uh, but it's a very good summary of the book.
0: Is can you you were going to read the first page because we uh, want to get a flavour of what the actual book is like? I don't what know what the
1: actual writing is like. Yeah, could you do that yeah. for us? Well, this is the introduction, which is called "A Tale of Two Cities." Yeah. So I will read a bit of that. There are two versions of the events of 1887. One is very well known. The other is not. The first version is the one printed in most history books. It is the one that those who lived through the age wished to recall. The version they recounted to their grandchildren with a wistful smile. It is the story of Queen Victoria and a summer of celebrations for her golden jubilee. She had been no more than a teenage girl when the nation's weighty crown had been placed on her head. Half a century later, she had become the embodiment of empire and a suitably grand series of events had been planned to commemorate this. On June the 20th, the precise day she had first mounted the throne, the royal heads of Europe, Indian princes, dignitaries and representatives from all corners of the empire, even the Hawaiian queen... I can't pronounce her name, (laughs) converged upon London. West End shopkeepers adorned their windows in red, white and blue. Royal standards and Union jacks, festoons of flowers and coloured garlands could be seen hanging from every sombre, stony edifice. And so it goes on.
0: Mm -hmm. so that sorry that Um, that passage you just read there the the first part of the book is setting the context of uh, victorian london and queen victoria being this great celebrated monarch who was a woman but actually the lives of many ordinary women would have been very different
1: yes and i'll go on and read another bit which shows the other side of the coin Mm. that jubilee summer had been an exceptionally warm and rainless one the clear blue skies that presided over the season's Carefree picnics and al fresco parties had shrivelled the fruit harvest and dried out the fields. Water shortages and an absence of seasonal agricultural labouring jobs only served to exacerbate an already growing employment crisis. While the wealthy enjoyed the fine weather from beneath their parasols and from under the trees of their suburban villas, the homeless and poor made use of it by creating an open-air encampment on Trafalgar Square. Many had come into the centre of town looking for work at Covent Garden Market, where Londoners bought their produce, but a drought meant fewer boxes of plums and pears to lift and haul. With no money for lodgings, they slept rough in the nearby square where they were joined by an increasing population of unemployed and homeless workers who would rather turn to the street than face the deplorable and demeaning conditions of the workhouse. Much to the horror of observers, these campers could be seen making their morning ablutions and scrubbing their vermin infested clothing in the fountains directly beneath the nose of Lord Nelson, who peered down from atop his column, mm. so you get the yeah. idea
0: yeah we get a flavor of the the, mm. the, the, the language style i mean it's it's quite um, the prose meaning the, mm. the the sort of the um, the writing. Yeah. It's quite literary, but not too much. Mm. I think that, um, well, I think the main thing is if people are interested in this uh, story, then that hopefully will be the motivation that helps them deal with the text. It's It, mm. it would probably take a little bit of getting used to, but um, mm-hmm. still interesting and I'd say it's written in a modern style, yes. which is appropriate for, for learners of English. Tons yeah. of vocabulary in there.
1: I suppose there is, yes. Having just read that, I realised just how full of vocabulary like, you it know,
0: is. Much to the horror of, yes. of more fortunate observers, which is like yes, a way of right. saying... Uh, yeah. uh, other people looked at these women and were horrified yeah. uh, these campers these women who who lived in the street could be seen making their morning ablutions which yes. basically means Does. it means washing themselves yeah. uh, and scrubbing their vermin infested clothing in the fountains mm. so it is quite formal literary uh, yeah, it it, is. it's quite it's yeah. modern but it is formal literary language i would say yes yeah which might make it a little challenging to read but mm. you know again the the thing is that if if people are motivated to read this then that's all right because mm. people need to learn all this kind of language mm. anyway mm. Um, so it's kind of you know swings and roundabouts in terms of learning yeah. english by reading you've got to kind of on one hand choose a book which has appropriate language like modern plain English that mm. and on the other hand choose a book that you just really want to read and so you've got to kind of strike a balance between those things but this does sound fascinating yeah so thank you for talking about it
1: um can we just stop there just for a moment yes um i just realized I've left something on the stove oh okay go and ahead I'll just go and turn it off sure it be a minute
0: okay hello hello so sorry uh, about that it it wasn't burning was it
1: no it was all right it was some soup it was just cooking away (laughs) disappearing into nothing yeah
0: Yeah. all right well great that sounds good so again just remind us of the title of the book if you would
1: the title of the book is the five the untold lives of the women killed by jack the ripper
0: by hallie rubenhold by
1: hallie rubenhold
0: okay fantastic mum thank you for talking to us and uh well we should do this again don't yes okay yeah absolutely that would be good and uh we don't have to restrict it to books we can talk about other things as well just whatever okay. you whatever you would like to talk about really
1: all right great
0: i'll let you check up on that soup again <laughs> <laughs> okay
1: all right. all right Well, have
0: a good afternoon yeah lovely to speak to you and give speak my to you. love
1: to you know who uh, yeah and you know who yeah that's the, the girls <laughs> the yeah. two girls yeah i will and uh yeah have a good day. Yes. Speak okay. to you soon. Yeah, okay. definitely. Bye-bye. Bye.
0: Okay, so there you are. That was the very first episode of Jill's Book Club. Let us know what you think by leaving your comments in the comments section on the website. You'll find this episode in the archive or just click the link in the show notes in your podcasting app. I said at the beginning, if you remember, that I had a few tips. I had some advice to help you choose a book in English. So here we go. This is how to choose a book to read in English. And uh, I've, I've talked about this on the podcast before in quite a lot of detail. But here's some of my advice just sort of distilled into a few brief points. So tips for choosing and reading books in English. So tip number one uh, is this. Uh, choose a book that you want to read. You've got to be motivated to read the book. Would you choose to read that book in your first language? People often say to me things like this. They say, I thought of reading Harry Potter. What do you think? And I ask them if they would read it in their language. And they kind of say, "Mm, no. So I wonder then why they would choose to read Harry Potter in English if they weren't going to read it in their own language, you know? Choose a book that you actually want to read, not only because you think it might be good for your English. Don't choose to impose a kind of boring homework-style reading experience on yourself. It is possible to read in English for pleasure and improve your language skills as a result. Now, I'm not saying that Harry Potter is a boring homework-style reading experience. Obviously, it's a hugely popular book. But the point is, just choose a book that you actually want to read. So you should be kind of using a similar approach to reading books in your first language. And if you're not a partic- if you're not a particularly good reader, if you don't really read in your first language, well that might be just a sort of a thing that you're going to have to work on. You might need to just start to enjoy reading books. Um so the first point, pick a book you want to read. But secondly, point 2, pick a book which contains the right kind of language. Pick something modern if possible. Older books, including really popular stuff like Sherlock Holmes or Jane Austen, Charles Dickens, uh, some of those older books tend to be written in a fairly old-fashioned style, of course, which can be really difficult for learners of English. And and me too. I, I love Sherlock Holmes, but I often struggle to understand what's actually happening in a Sherlock Holmes story because it's all so dense and so detailed, and the language is quite, kind of, it's, it's quite complex. So try to find something in a plain modern style. Obviously, if point one is more important to you, I mean, you know, you just really want to read that book, then point two is less of a concern. If you are a massive fan of Sherlock Holmes and you just really want to read a Sherlock Holmes story in English, then that's that's more important even if the language in Sherlock Holmes is going to be a bit old-fashioned and a a bit complicated. Ultimately, it's good to be exposed to all types of English. And if you're motivated, that's the best thing. But to be on the safe side, I I would say pick a modern book in plain English. Harry Potter, for example, is is not a bad choice in this case. It's not perfect because a lot of the words are made-up words in the Harry Potter universe. Although, having said that, you can then have conversations with people about... Harry Potter and we do sometimes refer to Harry Potter things like little jokes you know we we talk about muggles or we talk about saying expelliarmus or some other little word that you might hear from Harry Potter so it is in the popular consciousness to an extent um, but um, yeah mostly Harry Potter is written in a modern way similar to how people actually speak now you heard mum and me uh, in this conversation mention Bridget Jones's diary which I think would be a great choice, actually, because it's a good book and it's written in the sort of English that people actually use these days. So, first point, choose a book you want to read. Secondly, pick a book that contains the right kind of language. And then thirdly, pick a book that you will actually be able to finish. Finishing a book is great, isn't it? It gives you a sense of success and it gives you a sense of closure, literally, because you you close the book at the end and that is important so consider a shorter book or even a book which has been graded for your level okay graded readers you could search um online for example you could search on Amazon or probably other online bookstores for graded readers in english and you should check um books uh, published by well you could check the series various series of graded readers so there's macmillan readers Penguin Readers and Pearson English Readers. They all have some excellent books graded for different levels. And I say excellent books like, you know, classics uh, or well-known, very successful books. Um, They're not just of new books that have been written for learners of English. We're talking about uh, really well-known books that have just been graded. So choose a book you want to read and something appropriate for your level, probably B1 intermediate or B2 upper intermediate or C1 advanced. You'd need to just like check the details of the book to work out what their grading system is. They have like level three, level four, and level five. You need to work out what those things mean. Also, consider buying the sort of book that is quite easy to read, like a a page turner. Okay, what's a page turner? Well, An example would be The the Da Vinci Code by Dan Brown. That's an example of a page turner. It's quite easy to read and you just want to know what happens next. So you're kind of eager to turn the page and it's quite easy to flick through all the pages. Page turners usually contain sort of mystery or romance or horror. Dan, uh, Dan Brown's Da Vinci Code is an example. Even though it's not considered to be a great work of literature, it's certainly a book that you can fly through quite quickly. It will grab you. It will grip you and uh, it's easy to go from one page to the next, which is kind of the point. An advantage of page turners is that you can fly through them quite quickly, which is one of your aims. Get as much English into your head as possible. A disadvantage of page turners is that they can be a bit sort of meaningless and a bit poor quality. Sometimes they're rubbish. For example, I found the fifth Harry Potter book, which is what the Order of the Phoenix, I think it's called. I found the fifth Harry Potter book to be a good example of a page turner. I couldn't wait to get onto the next page to find out what was going to happen next. You know, it's like, when's the big thing going to happen? There's something big is going to happen in this story. You know, someone's going to die, something's going to happen. And so it was through all the pages. And there were many pages of not very interesting sort of um, low level drama with some journalist going around and harry potter sort of fancying a girl at at, at hogwarts and then nothing really happens like come on when's something gonna happen so i went through all the pages pretty quickly i read it incredibly fast but at the end i realized that nothing really happened in the book well sort of one thing really i think somehow jk rowling wrote uh, the order of the phoenix So that I felt something interesting was always around the corner. But then when I finished, uh, I realised that it was mostly sort of nothing. Someone dies at the end and that's it really. But I I read it extremely quickly and that is actually a good thing for learning English. Uh, You want something that will allow you to read more and more and more. Okay? So overall, you need to strike a balance between a book you want to read, a book which contains the right kind of English, and that is basically today's English, And then a book which you will be able to to finish. But the most important one is number one, a book you want to read. Because motivation will carry you through points two and three. And if you enjoy something, the language is more likely to stick with you. So you can also choose, uh, this is is a point about uh, how to read. People often think, do I need to have a dictionary with me? Do I need to stop and check all the words? Well, you could choose to stop and check words in a dictionary, kind of note those those words down, perhaps note the extract in which they appear, you know, like not just the word, but like maybe even a sentence uh, containing that target word. Or you could just carry on and just focus on continuing the book and only check new words when you think they're really important. If literally every other word is a new word to you, then it might be better to choose a graded reader, as I said before. Macmillan readers, Penguin readers, Pearson English readers. In those graded books, the range of vocabulary is narrower and they're easier to read. And remember, it's not about being able to understand the most difficult books. It's about reading as much as possible, as regularly as possible, and enjoying the experience. So um, going back to the book that my mum talked about in this episode, uh, the, F- the Five, the full title, The Untold Lives of Women Killed by Jack the Ripper by Hallie Rubenhold. Um, going back to that book, and this certainly is an interesting sounding book, which I, I can imagine many of you would like it. Uh, the reviews for it are great. It has a rating of 4.5 out of 5 on Amazon. Amazon.co.uk. Although the English can be quite dense. I mean, it's, you know, there's quite a lot of big words, let's say. It is written in a modern style and there is definitely a lot of vocabulary which you would pick up from it. So if you'd like to learn more about these five women and their lives, then get yourself a copy of The Five by Hallie Rubenhold. If you think that it would be too difficult, consider getting yourself a graded reader from one of the the publishers I mentioned before. This book, The Five, is available in Kindle version as well. It's available in audiobook version uh, from Audible, and uh, it's also available in just normal paperback and hardback versions. And don't forget, you can get a free 30 day trial with audible.com, including a free audiobook of your choice, by going to audibletrial.com teacher Luke. So, a few other comments about how to read a book in English. Basically, there are two approaches, and I've just realized I've already mentioned these things. So, forgive me now as I repeat myself a bit, but sometimes it's worth just hammering these, these messages home to my listeners Uh, because I know that sometimes you miss things. Anyway, so uh, how to read in English Uh, again. Number one, have a dictionary, check words as you discover them, noting little definitions or other things that might help you remember them, possibly keeping a vocabulary notebook as you go. Or number two, just focus on reading for pleasure and try to tolerate or guess the words and phrases that you don't know. Keep going and try not to be distracted by the bits that you don't understand. It might make more and more sense as you continue. I do strongly suggest that when you're reading a book uh, in English that you persevere through the first 25% of the book. Often it takes a, a while to get used to a new book and it might not grab you until you get through a certain number of pages. So if you start reading and you you realize that this is difficult and it's hard to, you know, you're not really motivated to keep picking up the book and reading, keep going. Persevere through the first 25% of the book and you will probably find that it grabs you uh, after that. Resist the temptation to give up. Keep reading. Don't stop. Push through the difficult, boring bits. Uh, From time to time, stop to think about the book and try to form some opinions on it as you go. What do you think of the characters? What's actually going on? What is the writer's point of view? What is this really about? What does the world of the book actually look like? What does it feel like and even smell like? visualising or thinking about all of those things can help you get into the book more as you read it okay all right so that's just some advice from me about choosing books to read in English and then your approach to reading books in English ultimately it's down to you and um you know you know how to read don't you maybe you don't I don't know I'm sure there are some people out there who um actually find it very difficult to read in English especially if reading especially if kind of uh english is written in a way that's totally different to the way your language is written like for example if you um are an arabic speaker obviously it's you you're, you're even reading in a different direction words are written differently it can be a real struggle um so anyway i've given my advice and that is it then for this episode and i i honestly i hope that you're doing okay out there in podcast land this is a very weird and difficult time and it could be very tricky for many of you. So, you know, keep your chin up, keep calm and carry on. And I hope that I'm keeping you company. And um, yes, I'll speak to you again on the podcast soon. Leave your comments in the comment section as usual. But that's it for now. Uh, so it's just time to say goodbye. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen,